0: Have you ever wondered what goes on in the mind of someone who is completely disconnected from reality? Is it really possible to live a normal life after being diagnosed with a mental illness? Bill McPhee was diagnosed with schizophrenia in 1987. He was just 19 when he started a pretty lucrative career as a commercial deep sea diver in Singapore. He was living his dream. Five years later, he was living a nightmare pacing in a psychiatric ward, trapped in a world of illusions, delusions, paranoia, and depression. He was convinced his life was over and even tried to make sure of it with a fistful of sleeping pills. But it's what ultimately led him to build himself back up into a happier, more resilient person now. He is the author of the book, To Cry a Dry Tear. He is a retired CEO of Magpie Media, which published SZ Magazine, the award-winning magazine which encouraged people affected by a mental illness. Bill has traveled across North America to bring hope by sharing his struggles and triumphs with illness so that people living with mental illness can see for themselves that living a full, rewarding, happy life was still possible after a diagnosis. I welcome you, Bill McPhee. Welcome to Free Wheeling with Carden. This podcast shares stories of people with various disabilities and shines a new light on accessibility topics. Our goal is to knock down barriers so we can roll through life a little easier and build a community to do this together. Please rate and follow this podcast or text CARDEN at 470-588-1215 with comments and suggestions. We welcome you on your journey towards inclusion for all. And now, your host, Carden Wyckoff, global disability advocate and wheelchair warrior. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Free Will with Cardin. I have Bill McPhee here, and he's going to talk today about schizophrenia and mental health and how we can be better advocates and just help out in the space. So welcome, Bill. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thanks, Cardin. No problem. Good to be here.
0: Yeah. And tell me a little bit about your journey with schizophrenia. Um, I read just a little blurb about you where you were jet-setting across the world when you were (laughs) younger, 18, 19, 20-ish, and your whole world totally changed. So yeah, yeah, a little bit about that.
1: Sure, I'll I'll share my story with you. So basically, I'll go back as a childhood. um, Mental illness ran in my family. My mother was basically bipolar, but at the time, it was just called manic depressive. And even before that, it was just kind of, mom's getting sick again kind of thing. And it always seemed that my mom was always in the hospital. it was really, uh, uh, nah, I wouldn't say I had a bad childhood, but uh, I didn't like the fact that my mom was always in the hospital and, and sick. Uh, but basically, uh, so, so my mental illness ran in my family. However, I never dreamed that uh, one day I'd be diagnosed as schizophrenia. And uh, I was always kind of goal oriented. And uh, what I did is uh, I always loved the water. I was always in the water growing up in uh, Ontario, Fort Erie, by, by the Lake Erie and uh, the Niagara River that goes into Niagara Falls. And I always had uh, playing in the water. So I, I ended up uh, getting my scuba diving certificate, and I liked that a lot. So to make a long story short, I ended up going in when I was 18 to Seneca College for underwater skills program. Basically, that's a commercial diver. And when I was 19 years old, I was on uh, uh, on my 19th birthday. I was on a plane on the way to Singapore to look for work in the uh, diving field, in the commercial diving field. And uh, that's a a long story uh, in, in its in itself. But basically, I, I did get a job, and uh, I worked for a company called Sea Tech International, which was subcontracted by Marathon Oil. And I worked on the drill ship in the South China Sea for a year doing two weeks on the rig and then a week off back in Singapore where my home base was. So that was very uh, exciting. But I came back to Canada. I got homesick, I guess, for after a year and I came back to Canada and I did all jobs. And that what happened was that that when I was 24, I got a girl pregnant and I suppressed that. I didn't share that with, with anybody. And, and, but what happened is that uh, I was kind of looking for forgiveness. And I started to dive into theology, and then a lot of weird things started to happen where I'd actually see words float off the page and expand and contract, and I would see faces in my wall, my bedroom wall, and I became very, very paranoid. So what was going on then, which I didn't know, was that I was coming down with symptoms of schizophrenia. But the nature of schizophrenia is that you don't know that you're ill. And therefore, uh, you know, I would call in to work, not show up for shifts, call off sick, different things like that. And uh, that lasted for around six months before I was actually picked up by the police uh, because I was basically naked in the street uh, in the dead of winter. So, so, uh, So basically from there, I was hospitalized six different times and lived in three group homes. I had a suicide attempt. And I spent five years on the couch dealing with a deep, deep, dark depression.
0: Yeah. And as a young adult, when you're trying to figure out yourself in your life, you have all of these things that are happening to you and your mind, and you can't really control it. What are those thoughts that are running through your mind because you have, you know, all these other things that you can't really control?
1: Absolutely. Well, if I can go, uh, explain a little bit more about schizophrenia. A lot of people think that schizophrenia is like a split personality or something, but Mm -hmm. the actual word means split from reality or basically being out of reality. And uh, with schizophrenia, you have basically uh, three legs to it is one that it's genetic. Another thing is biochemical. And another thing is that it's stress related. So I had all those things, obviously mental illness ran in my family, so there was the genetic point, and then the stressor of uh, getting this girl pregnant, and then uh, thirdly, the chemical imbalance. So that's all that that, that, that came at once. Those, those were the three legs of schizophrenia. And uh, actually, schizophrenia affects one out of 100 people in society. And mental okay. illness, yeah, very common. And, and in general, in general, uh, one out of five people will have a mental illness, whether it's schizophrenia, depression, OCD, anxiety, uh, you know, bipolar. So mental mental illness is very, very common, and uh, it's not talked about. It's talked about a lot more now than when I was younger, even when my mom was going through bipolar. So, but but the field of psychiatry is still a relatively a, a new field when it comes to medicine. Mm.
0: Interesting. And you were talking a little bit about the you were in different homes. What is a group home for those who don't know? I'm not familiar with that.
1: Yeah, sure. So a group home is basically where uh, through a counselor or something, if you're not uh, doing well, they will basically assign you to a group home that is a a home that might have, you might share that home with uh, six or seven uh, other people that have schizophrenia or mental illness. And then it's supervised by staff, so there might be like you know seven people there, and it's a big house, but with staff. And I didn't function well in in that situation, uh, just because I was always looking for something better. I, I was looking for, you know, for something better. I, I mean, I can remember being in one of the homes, and I overheard them at a meeting say, "Well, Bill's going to be the role model kind of thing." And and my self esteem was so low, and my confidence was so low that I said. God, if I'm the role model, then <laughs> I'm pretty. Yeah, we're we're in pretty bad shape, kind of thing. You know what I mean?
0: Right. And a role model almost was it almost like being a guinea pig?
1: Well, not necessarily. Yeah, maybe so. It just seems uh, I guess uh, people saw more more potential mm-hmm. than what I thought I had, and, and everything like that. And uh, which 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 was true. I mean, it was very difficult. But I got to tell you, Carden, I was very fortunate because I was hit with schizophrenia at age 24. Mm-hmm. So I had my social skills uh, that I've, I've developed. I've I've had I had a work ethic. I worked. Uh, I, I I was social. I was in relationships. But it's very difficult when people are hit when they're you know 14, 15, 16, mm-hmm. and that is because they don't have their social skills developed. They maybe not even had a job to. To go back on and different things like that, and usually they say that women tend to do better with illnesses schizophrenia than men because women are usually hit with it a little bit later than men, and and they they have their education or uh, a career that they can go back to. Where and that was my case. I was fortunate that I was hit at twenty four instead of at sixteen or fifteen or something like that. And and the normal thing usually it hits between say. 15 and 25, but there's always exceptions to that. But it's, and, and schizophrenia is known as youth's greatest disabler because of that. That's the time that it actually hits between 15 and say 25.
0: And were you the only one in your family that had this? You said it was, there was a genetic component to it. Did, I mean, did you feel well, isolated? Were you alone facing this?
1: Yeah. My, well, you know what? Um, my mom earlier had, had bipolar in, in the family so there's the, the genetics there and um yeah my brother i think my brother had uh, some some mental health issues uh, as well but uh no uh you know it's just, just like just like you know cancer runs in families high blood pressure can runs in families diabetes can run in families and and unfortunately mental illness runs in families but you know pardon one, one of the main things main difference is uh, between physical illness and mental illness is the following i really don't like it when people say oh well well mental illness is just like a physical illness where say if you had diabetes or something like that you have to take insulin and 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 that but the real difference is 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 hard in in, with mental illness is that if if i fell down and i broke my arm and my bone was sticking out of my arm and there's blood all around my brain would say Bill, you broke your arm, you have to get to the hospital, you got to get a cast on it and everything mm-hmm. like that, you got to get it treated. But the problem is with mental illness is that because it affects the brain, the brain doesn't know it's sick. And um, so that's why physical illness and mental illness is different because illnesses such as like bipolar, schizophrenia, schizoaffective, being paranoid, we really don't realize that we are we feel that way because our brain is broken and the brain doesn't know that it's sick. And another name for that basically is a lack of insight. We have a lack of insight of our illness.
0: Before we continue the episode, I wanted to drop a little ad. If you have a disability or are with friends with disabilities, have you ever gone somewhere and faced accessibility issues like an entrance isn't wheelchair accessible or the venue is super dark and would pose challenges if you had low vision? Eye Access Life is here to help with that. And honestly, it's such a great partnership and relationship that I have with Saeed and Brandon, the co-founders of the app. And it is a mobile app that lets users with disabilities rate, review and research places based on their accessibility. And you can rate places like restaurants, stores, hotels, based on the accessibility of parking, entrance, interior space, bathrooms. It's like the Yelp for disability ratings. And each category you can rate out of five stars. The app is found on the App Store and Google Play for Android. Please use the promo code CARDEN, C-A-R-D-E-N, when signing up. And when you've created an account, you can set your disability category. And like for myself, I'm a wheelchair user. And I then receive tailored recommendations. I highly, highly encourage getting synced up with iAccess Life. Use the promo code CARDEN, C A R D E N. It's free to download, and I look forward to seeing your ratings everywhere that you go. iAccess Life has been a huge help for me, especially in the Atlanta area. When I'm out and about going places, I can easily pull up the venue, the facility, and whatnot and see if it's accessible. I know right now with COVID, it's a little bit difficult to go out and about, but you can still rate interview places while you're in the comfort of your own home. And then when the doors reopen in your city, I recommend as you're going places that you're actively rating interviewing places to make the world a more accessible place. And again, use promo code CARDEN, C-A-R-D-E-N when downloading I Access Life letter I, access, A-C-C-E-S-S, life, L-I-F-E. And now back to the episode. That brought up another thought. I was listening to one of your YouTube videos the other day and you're working on a second book, as I understand, and and there's a, a child in there and she is in the car and talking to herself and she thinks that everything is normal. Like everyone can hear voices. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, exactly. Like that, that, that's the thing. It's uh, yeah. And I'll, I'll talk about my second book in a second, but um, that's right. So this girl heard voices every, uh, since she was little, but yeah. she would, didn't know it. She thought everybody heard voices. Yeah. And why wouldn't you think that? Why would you, how could you kind of self-diagnose that you're hearing voices But right? at 6 7 years old when when uh, everybody else is you think are the same and so yeah so so you know people can go on having illness and not know it and uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's very
0: common right and so it's like as if you think that this is normal and your brain doesn't know that it's ill but it is experiencing illness but if it's yeah. happening at such a young age when you're still trying to figure out who you are as a person and the social skills as you're talking about it's like, yeah. you don't know what is and what isn't normal.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's a hard part. And you mentioned the second book. The second book I'm writing is called, uh, uh, well, my first book is called To Cry a Dry Tear, Bill McPhee's Journey of Hope and Recovery with Schizophrenia. And the second book that I'm, call- that I'm writing is called Over the Edge and Back. And what it is, it's about people who have attempted suicide, but however, are living uh, lives that they enjoy now. And, uh, there's going to be a little bit of a, uh, a cultural flavor to it where I'll be examining suicide in the West and in the, uh, Middle East and uh, and then in the Far East as well.
0: And what have you found? Or are you still in the works of writing? That yeah, book? we're in
1: the works. Uh, my first profile was a person, uh, up, uh, way up North, uh, a First Nations person who, uh, had a suicide attempt. And then, uh, we're working with, uh a girl in Vancouver that uh, had schizophrenia and that, and she had many attempts. She heard voices um, a lot of, a lot, most of her life uh, telling her to, that she was no good and to kill herself and different things like that. And then right now we're just actually looking for a couple uh, people uh, in India to do a couple uh, profiles. We're looking for somebody in uh, uh, Mumbai and then we want to get somebody in New Delhi as well. And then we have other countries that we're going to take people uh, examples from there as well.
0: What do you think that you're going to find?
1: Well, I think that you'll find is that uh, that there's different uh, reasons for for suicide. One, obviously, you might think that there that depression is is key to all of them, but not necessarily because there's uh, people who are driven into cults and things like that that, that mm-hmm. commit suicide, or uh, there's a lot of accidental suicide. For example. I had a legitimate suicide attempt where, where I tried to OD. But earlier on in my illness, I was walking uh, against traffic uh, on a highway and cars and trucks were swerving around me. And if I was going to be, if I was hit or killed uh, in that situation where a car or truck hit me, people would think, oh, well, Bill went out on the road and committed suicide. Where in fact, I didn't want to die it was my illness that brought me onto the road that would have killed me. So people would have thought that that was a suicide, but in fact, I didn't want to die. It was just because of my sickness. Mm-hmm. And so, so that that so there so there's suicides that look like uh, uh, that somebody might might have wanted to commit suicide, but it was just their illness who basically made them succumb to suicide. So there's things like that, and then there's also protest people who. Who are up for a cause are really what they think is a major in, in, in a cause, and you know you hear about people setting themselves on fire or something like that for uh, for a certain cause. And that, but uh, but for the majority with depression, people think it's the only solution. They think that uh, that's the only thing that they they can do to solve the problem. And if I can just, I just want to mention one other thing about uh, suicide is that a lot of times people think. That people who commit suicide are very selfish or, um, you know, they're, they're, not, they, they're not thinking of their loved ones and everything like that. But I got to tell you, when people are dealing with suicidal ideation, it's a battle. It's a war. It's no different than a soldier being on the front line and being in battle, shooting and, and everything like that, that their enemy. Because when we are suicidal, we're in a battle. And unfortunately, when soldiers are in a battle, sometimes they don't come home. And same with uh, when we're suicidal in a battle as well, we don't come home as well. But it's not, uh, it's not a selfish thing. Uh, people are have real anguish and pain, and, um, and they're in a battle. And so therefore, you know, somebody asked me, well, is it a sin to commit suicide? And absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, because we're fighting a battle, and sometimes we win it, and sometimes we don't.
0: Wow, that's that's pretty powerful. Um, what is it like? I mean, I know that you're talking about you're fighting this battle in your mind. How do you take that next step to overcome that? I mean, I guess this is going to be yeah. part of your book, right? Well, I obviously, think, uh, you I mean, don't want to die.
1: Obviously, I, I, I live a high quality of life. I, I, I like my life, I enjoy my life, and uh, no, and that's why I continue to take medication for for my schizophrenia because I want to remain in reality. If I went off my if I went off my medication, probably in six months' time, my mind would start playing tricks on me again and then force me and, and and who knows what kind of delusion i could could be in. But I'm I like my I like my life and I want to keep good, it that right. way. So therefore, I I stay on my medication.
0: Good, good. And you alluded back to three different types of mental illness. You said schizophrenia, paranoia, and then schizophrenic yeah, or something. Yeah. Well, you know what, what are I, those three?
1: Sure. <laughs> well, I'll, so I'll just I'll just kind of explain schizophrenia. With schizophrenia, you have what's known as positive symptoms and negative symptoms. And sometimes people think, oh, they hear the word positive. Oh, positive, that must be good. That's good. But basically what it is, is that with schizophrenia, positive symptoms are added to your personality that shouldn't be there. For example, if you hear voices, if you're paranoid, if you're delusional, if you hear voices, if you hallucinate or have illusions, those things are added to your personality that shouldn't be there. Therefore, they're called positive symptoms and usually for a great deal of time positive symptoms can be controlled for a lot of people by medication they can get you back in reality negative symptoms or deficit symptoms with schizophrenia can be a lack of motivation a lack of joy emotional bluntness emotional blandness all these things are, are are lacking from our personality but should be there and and they're not, and that's why they're called negative or deficit symptoms. And sometimes the deficit symptoms can even be more debilitating than the positive symptoms.
0: Right, because a lack of motivation is very different than like you were saying, voices or something else, where yeah. would you say that you could treat the voices with your medication, but a lack of motivation is more of, I guess, a self-drive.
1: Yeah, exa- exactly, mm-hmm. uh, Cardin. That's exactly right. With the positive symptoms, medication can clear that a lot of time. Though mm-hmm. voices, a lot of times, voices are the last symptoms to go. Sometimes it's hard to get rid of voices. A lot of people still have voices that they seem to be the hardest thing to, to get rid of. But um, as far as the negative symptoms and the lack of motivation and that, oh, it's... It's totally like that it, it, you I mean just to give you an example I mean I can remember uh, I'd be just lying there on the couch and, and uh, my brother my brother was a police officer and he was uh, very fit and worked out all the time and and that and here I am laying on the couch doing no, nothing basically and my poor old mom is out shoveling the driveway of snow and everything like that and, and my brother can't understand well, You know, why don't you go to the gym or something and become Arnold Schwarzenegger? Or why don't you go out and help your mother with this shoveling of snow and things like that? But you're just there's just nothing in you to really to really uh, fight and try. It's very very hard to do that. Um, And uh, and but with my turning point, and I'll share that a little bit later. My turning point, but to be on the couch and just lethargic and and not moving is. It's it's like that. And, and there is no motivation. And to tell you the, the truth, Carly, what I found out throughout the years is that there is no such thing as motivation. All there is is discipline and habit. Discipline and habit. And nothing is going to motivate you, but you have to have the discipline to do something and then you have to have the habit to stick to it and so that's what i say all the time uh, and, and, and you know and, and one of the ways of trying to do that we've all heard of the nike slogan right just do it
0: yeah. well I,
1: I think i improved on that card and you know what my improvement is why <laughs> just do it now you know just do it now <laughs> and that's a that's a procrastinator's uh, uh, solution right there just do it now <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's great. <laughs> you mentioned your brother was a police officer, and then the other imagery of someone walking out on the highway against traffic, knowing that they probably shouldn't be there. With the world right now, there's obviously a lot of br- police brutality going on, and that's very top of mind, especially in the United States. How do you feel that we should solve that issue for police officers addressing? Individuals who are experiencing signs of mental illness.
1: Well, definitely, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, definitely. Uh, the, the, like there's been a few cases uh, in Canada as well where where there's been shot shooting by police officers of the mentally ill and things mm-hmm. like that. And uh, I think more understanding and, and more de-escalation of situations instead of uh, you know firing bullets and, and that. I, I think we need to have to have de-escalating tactics i don't think that we should be you know defunding our uh, unfunding our, our our police but we should have more things into you know de-escalation and, and control because i know that here in canada like when people who are mentally ill are picked up by the police the police officers have to stay at the hospital or whatever for a long time like six seven hours both of them just there with with a a patient and 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 that's not good resources to use and so yeah so there definitely needs to be more de-escalation uh with the mentally ill but but the truth is that the the truth is cardin is that when i was psychotic when i was delusional uh, and everything the truth is somebody who is delusional you really don't know what's going on in their mind you really don't and some people can be dangerous, and at points I was driving erratically. I was dangerous in my delusions, and I just thank God that I didn't kill anybody in my delusions. But right. I easily see how something like that could happen.
0: How would you want the police to approach you or treat you if you were in those delusions?
1: Well, you know, yeah, uh, I can remember being picked up by, by the police actually twice. And, um, and, and, the one time I distinctly remember the officer said, you know, we're going to take you, we're going to take you back to the hospital and everything like that. And, uh, he said to me, he said, are you going to come peacefully? Or are you going to, are you going to, do I need to put the handcuffs on you actually? And uh, I said, I said, no, I said, I, I realize I need to go to the hospital. I just kind of want to go home. And, and so he put me in the back of the car without handcuffs and, and, and took me to the hospital. Mm-hmm. The first time that I got picked up, when I was uh, you know, in the coldest night of the year, and I was naked underneath the street light. Street light. Um, these police officers came and they 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 took me away. But what was going through my mind? I thought I was a new prophet or a Christ or something like that. And I thought these police officers were coming to take me away, to crucify me or to annihilate or to murder me. And mm-hmm. can you imagine the fear? The fear you might have when you're being drugged away. To be taken somewhere, and so that was a little bit more forceful. That because I was scared, I didn't know what was happening. And but again, uh, to iterate, when you're delusional, God only knows what's going through your mind, mm-hmm. you
0: know. Yeah, and the police officers yeah. don't know either, they only exactly.
1: See exactly whatever
0: you're doing the outlashes and the cryings and the whatever you're, you're speaking,
1: exactly. So, Cardin, what I like to do. If you don't mind, i like to share people what my turning point was. How Me I basically, too. yeah, how I, 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 how I, are you uh, making
0: the world a better place?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so when I was very ill, um, you, you were always thinking, uh, in the past, uh, if I would, if my parents would have been smarter, if my mom would have had a different job, or my dad, had different education, or if I would have studied this or did better in this class and everything, we're always thinking about that. And I remembered where. A grade seven teacher said to me, She said, You know, Bill, if you don't learn how to write properly, you'll never amount to anything in life. And what she meant about writing was my penmanship. I had very poor penmanship. So what I did is I literally said, I said, I'm gonna prove to somebody that I can do something. And what I did is I uh, phoned up the Forty Literacy Foundation. And I said, Listen, I know how I, I know how to read and write and that, but I want to improve my penmanship. So basically Martha came came over was was uh, to give me penmanship lessons and Martha was going to Niagara College for Social Work and she was also the executive director of the Big Brothers and Big Sisters and uh, she was also a volunteer at the Literacy Foundation. So Martha came by and we would um, do penmanship exercises you know once a week and, and because of those negative symptoms I had I would say oh my god you know Martha's coming tonight that means I got to wash my hair and brush my teeth and shave these things that are difficult to do with negative symptoms but Martha would come over and then Martha said one day she said Bill you know I know you're not doing much which was an understatement and she said but I I go to the college she said why don't you why don't you uh, sign up for a course and I'll drive you and I thought oh my god sign up for a course that means I gotta wash my hair and brush my teeth and shave all these things that are difficult to do but I signed up for a photography course And I didn't enjoy it. I still had that lack of joy. But I went through the motions. I bought a camera. I did the darkroom stuff. I went on the field trips and all that. So I decided to do that. The next thing I know is that Martha's on the phone. And Martha says, you know, Bill, I'm the seventh group person, chairperson for the Scouts, Beavers, and Cubs. And we need a treasurer. How would you like to be our treasurer? And I thought, oh, my God. That means another day to wash my hair and brush my teeth and shave. (laughs) During I said, okay, Martha, I'll come to your stupid meeting. Well, basically, I went to that meeting, and that was my turning point, because I met Martha's husband, I met her children, I met Peter, who eventually I started to play racquetball and squash with. I started to help out with cup Cars and Apple Day and Camp Outs and that, and what it did is it gave me a whole new social network of people who accepted me for who I was and not what I had. Mm-hmm. And that was truly my turning point because now I said, "Well, all of my friends are seem to be working, and that needs to be the next step to work." And I tried so many different jobs, going back and forth and everything. And it wasn't until 1994 or 1993 that I had the idea to start up a mental health magazine. Mm-hmm. And I started a a magazine called S Z Magazine, which is, it was a magazine on schizophrenia and mental illness. And basically in 1994, I incorporated a company and I did that for 23 years. Mm-hmm. And now, now, now what I do uh, today is, um, I, uh, I run, uh, I have a podcast called helping parents of mentally ill children. Mm-hmm. And I also mm-hmm. have a Facebook group with the same name, helping parents of mentally ill children. And I do, uh, I, I have an interview uh, I have guests on my live broadcast that I do Sunday nights uh, Eastern Time live every Sunday night.
0: Wow! Yay! Yeah. That's so cool. And I've actually listened to a number of those videos, and it's been so fascinating to just learn about mental health, mental illnesses. You know, how can we be better supporters of each other? But also, your turning point—it's that feeling of belonging and inclusion and acceptance. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's nothing better than people yeah. with disabilities to finally find that yeah. community where people don't see the mental illness. They don't see the wheelchair. They don't see whatever the issue is. They mm-hmm. just see you and your potential and what you can do to go forward. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's incredible that you found that so that you could go on and that gave you the motivation to then create that magazine. It's funny. I saw. It, I heard you say Z, but I know in Canada you guys say Zed. <laughs> yeah, like, but
1: more people in the states than in Canada. Though, yeah. So we
0: opted be all Z. <laughs> So SZ magazine. <laughs> I used to work with a lot of Canadians, so I, I'm very, very used to it. But yeah, so. They can find you on your Facebook group and you put out videos, you interview people.
1: Yeah, yeah. So just uh, my my new website is under construction right now. But if you went to billmcfee.ca, you can see the website. And like I said, if you go to Facebook, uh, just search in Helping Parents of Mentally Ill Children, you'll find my group page. And I have over 400 uh, teaching videos on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and just punch Mm -hmm. in Bill McPhee, so I'll take you to my YouTube channel with I have Over four hundred teaching videos on mental illness.
0: That's awesome. Well, I will definitely share that with all of our listeners. And did you have anything else that you wanted to share about just what you're no, doing? No, I,
1: I just I just want to tell people that it's very important to be persistent. We need to have persistence and keep on trying because the more mm-hmm. you try, something's bound to uh, work out for you.
0: Yeah, one last question that I wanted to ask with workplace accommodations: mm-hmm. How could a work environment help you and support you? What kind of accommodations would you ask for?
1: Yeah, I think I think when we're dealing with uh, with the mental illness and, and voices and everything like that, I think uh, a very calming and quiet environment I think is is the best. Not not where there's a lot of stimuli going on, and as well. I always say that it's very important to live a stress-free life and to live as simply as possible. And that's what I tried to do. I tried to live a simple life and I also tried to live a a fairly stress-free life. And I think, and I think that uh, is, is very important. And just, just to give you uh, another thing is that uh, my son, I mentioned when I got the girl pregnant, well, my, my son, uh, William, he's 34 years old uh, now. And I also have, uh, two other children. I have a uh, White who's 18, and Hannah Faith, who's uh, going to be 16 in November.
0: So a life is ah, possible. Awesome.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would say that there is life after mental illness. Absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, great. Thank you so much, Phil. I really appreciate your time and your expertise and definitely direct people over to your Facebook group and your YouTube videos because we can all learn how to be uh, better with just helping other people out with mental illness.
1: Thank you very much, Cardin. Thank you.
0: Thank you, friends, for listening. Please rate and follow this podcast or text Cardin at 470-588-1215 with comments and suggestions. Tune in next week for another disability topic.